Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Welcome back and thanks for listening. As we approach the Thanksgiving Day holiday here in the United States, I want to extend my gratitude and thanks to all the listeners that keep this show vibrant, relevant, and growing. One of the many gifts I get to experience from this platform, built on a passion for both storytelling and story listening, are the connections, recommendations, and suggestions that former guests share with me for future shows. Today's guest came to me that way as well, from one Stephen to another. My guest on episode 106 is Stephen Jaggers, founder of Somatic Breathwork. Stephen's purpose in life is to liberate people from the stress and overwhelm that lies unprocessed in our bodies so that we can become free in our mind. As we discuss in this episode together, Stephen believes there's an exact correlation between our physical vitality and mental health. If we want to improve the quality of our lives, we must address both. And that begins with breath. Living and practicing out of Sedona, Arizona, in Austin, Texas, Stephen helps people from all over the world align their minds and bodies through somatic breathwork, energetic bodywork, and a deep reconnection to nature. Enjoy the conversation and feel into your breath as you listen. So, Stephen, I would love to start off by just having you introduce yourself and um, what it is you do and and what we're going to be talking about today. Man, that is, um, that's kind of a difficult question, but um, yeah, I think that I am a, I am a verb. I am a process. I am a change. And I think that that's one thing that people don't really realize is that we are all, um, we're all a verb. There's no such thing as a noun. There's no such thing as stasis until we are, in the ground and at that point we're still changing and moving so i am i am changing but right now um i am the founder of somatic breathwork um, which is a modality that helps people kind of release a lot of stress tension um, so that they can be clear and, and make clear decisions in their life it's really um focusing on mind body connection and 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 emotional wellness <clears throat> and it's um it's really gaining a lot of momentum, I think, because the world is asking for it. And so a little bit of background on me. I uh, was a neuromuscular therapist for a long time. I, I worked with people on a very physical level, uh, postural assessments, um, injury rehabilitation. And, uh, and I was also a, a teacher for uh, body workers. Um, I taught uh, kinesiology, anatomy, physiology. And, and I also studied a lot of, um, Eastern understandings like, uh, energetic forms of body work, um, and energy work, um, studying kind of the chakra system and, and understanding that and bridging the gap, uh, between that and sort of the Western understanding of the nervous system. And I did body work for a very long time. I taught 
And I kind of stumbled into breath work and through my own, I guess, uh, uh, curiosity and experiencing, I, um, I did some pretty profound breath work sessions with a man named Stan Groff, who is kind of the modern, um, uh, I would say father of a lot of these breath work modalities that are out there. And, uh, during that session, I had quite a profound release, uh, physically, um, muscularly and also emotionally. And after I kind of had that release, I became very clear. I became very clear mentally. I kind of cleared on a physical level, the amount of tension and stress and, and, and things that I had been storing in my body for a long time. I became very clear mentally. And I, I re I had the realization that we're, you know, anybody that's working with another human in any sort of capacity, whether it's a therapist, whether it's a physical therapist, whether it's a, um, a coach, yoga teacher, body worker, whatever it is, we're all breath workers. Um, whether we know it or not, we are attuning to each other's breath. And if you are working with somebody um, and they're holding their breath, uh, whatever you're doing with them is actually not really landing probably because the breath, your respiration is the thing that controls the state of your nervous system. And if you are in a contracted state, or if someone is in a contracted state when you're working with them, um, usually whatever you're doing is probably not landing with them. So I began to study lots of different forms of breath work and combining that with a lot of the somatic understandings of, of body work and, and mind body connection and, you know, uh, sort of birth this modality, which is a synthesis of lots of different modalities. And, uh, yeah, I, I train a lot of practitioners worldwide and, and it's really, it's really growing and it's really exciting. Thank you for that incredible intro. I love the fact that you start off by saying, I'm a verb. I think that's so, um, well, generous. And, and, and the reason I say that is because, you know, you mentioned we are, we are change, you know, and we're talking, obviously, um, much of this platform connects people who are going through some sort of change, telling their story and, and I think the other piece that you mentioned was was around healing, and healing is a verb, right? It is it is a a constant. The, the piece you mentioned around breath and breathing and respiration, I'm curious. I'd love to start off with this these past couple years of where we've been. One of the things I'm I'm curious about to to hear from you is is do you think that the understanding of the power of breath and breathing and all that is connected to has come into our um, our conscious thinking more because of something like COVID, because of something like the, the pandemic where people started realizing that the thing we need that makes us live also became something that we were so fearful of, right? The through breath and through breathing, we were actually contracting um, respiratory uh, virus. Um, in the work that you've done over the years, do you feel like it's more in the conscious now that we're thinking about it because of that? Or or is it is it more complex than that? I don't want to simplify it, but I would just love your thoughts on no, that. No, it's a great it's a great question and um, I think I think a lot. <laughs> First off, um, People have, have, have known and have utilized uh, breath work for a very, very long time. 
a lot of these understandings are very ancient, um, whether it's looking back on some of the early yogic practices of pranayama to um, sort of the Tibetan practices of tumo breathing. It's, it's been a, around for a long time. And uh, I think <clears throat> we are starting to remember um, a lot of a, a lot of this understanding, and you'll find as you talk to me, I'm quite a nerd for etymology and breaking down words. Um, to remember is to put the pieces back together. It's to remember ourselves, and so there's a kind of a remembering going on of putting back the pieces, whether that's reconnecting our mind to our body, or reconnecting to our breath, and. It's very interesting. I had a, a conversation, and and I'm not necessarily um, a, an an advocate for um, like shamanism, and I'm, I'm into that stuff. But I had a I had a conversation with um, a shaman from Peru. Uh, let's see, actually, it was the year it was 2020 um, when COVID kind of was happening, and and I asked him, I was like, you know, have you when you work with people, have you seen any differences like pre-COVID versus after COVID? Like, are there different, are there different things that people are coming in with? And he, with his sort of broken English, um, was explaining to me that him and his group of shamans, whatever the whatever they they call themselves necessarily, uh, they noticed kind of in before COVID happened in January of 2020 they notice kind of this uh, dark cloud kind of descend upon the world. And whether that's kind of an energetic thing, I'm assuming, they know they notice this sort of dark cloud descend upon the world. And they said it was a sickness of the air. And they said that during that time, there was fires going on kind of all over the world, in California and the Amazon and Australia, there were those massive Australian fires. And you know, they looked at it, sort of the lungs of the planet were burning, right? And then, you know, fast forward a little bit, we have this massive epidemic of COVID um, where it's attacking people's ability to breathe. People are put on respirators. Um, it's directly attacking respiration. And then a little bit further on from there, uh, we had this whole racial thing go on where a man was being choked, yelling, what? I can't breathe. And then after that, it's like we're forced to wear masks and we're forced to kind of stay away from each other. And and so it's quite interesting. Um, lots of different sort of symbolism, if you will, if you will that is showcasing us or showing us um, that, that, that breath is an essential thing that we're not paying attention to. And even if you look at respiration is the etymology of that is to re-spirit. And so a lot of these Eastern traditions, a lot of these Eastern traditions look at, at breathing as you are re-spiriting. Every time you take a breath in, you are breathing in spirit life force so that you can remember and show up as that vital self in the moment right here, right now. To become inspired right to take in this in the spire of the spirit and so I, I i personally believe that there is sort of a a there's sort of a, a a war against our breath if you will and what i find very fascinating is that the breath our breathing our respiration is the only body rhythm that we do both consciously and unconsciously 
It's the bridge between the conscious mind and body and the unconscious mind and body. And it is a button, a toggle switch, a thing that you have access to all the time that you're either doing conscious or unconscious that controls the, the state of your vessel, controls the state of your body. And, you know, it controls whether you're in a state of fear and contraction or whether you're in a state of openness, love and expansion. And, and you can change that at any point. And all it takes is, is your breath. I love that you use the the analogy or metaphor symbol of the bridge um, because to me one of the things I'm reminded of is the amount of emotion that comes through when we really do stop and attune to our breath if, if, if we allow ourselves the generosity of doing that one of the things that I think immediately comes up um, is a lot of emotion um, and as you're describing it, the ability to work with breath puts a bridge between the conscious and the unconscious, the spiritual and the physical, the um, ethereal and the dimensional. Um, I would love to learn a little bit as someone who's innately curious about this. And, and I think, you know, to sort of self-profess, I've done a little bit of research on, on breath work. But I think a part of me, Stephen, has been hesitant because I know that once the dam breaks or once the bridge is there, a lot's going to come up. And so you, you have the gift of working with a lot of people that, that start to cross that bridge and wade in those waters. Can you explain for, maybe for me and the listeners what is that typically like and, and, and maybe why is there a hesitation behind my sternum? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's a great question and I get it often and, and it, it always blows my mind how many people are, you know, afraid of breath work or afraid of, of doing a breath work session. And, you know, there's people that are, you know, taking medications with massive amounts of side effects or even getting in a car where it's incredibly dangerous, but to sit down for an hour with yourself and breathe, it can actually be, it can actually be a little bit scary because it's, it's oftentimes very scary to go inward. And I think that it's, it's scary to it's a lot of people because there's nothing else going on besides you being with yourself. And so we don't ever, nobody ever takes them an hour of their time to sit with themselves and breathe. And at the end of the day, a lot of people are like, they, we miss the, how profound that is. We don't really realize actually how powerful that, and I know myself as a practitioner for a long time, especially being a body worker and like physically having to fix somebody and really working hard. Uh, uh, with somebody and, and then them kind of coming back with the same issues over and over again, I had to really switch my perspective when I'm doing breath work and to, to realize like that this is actually really profound. And a lot of the times I might feel like I'm not even doing anything because they're with themselves. And for a lot of people, it's very scary to go inward. You know, I, I had a client the other day that you know, she's like 60 years old and kind of struggling with anxiety and depression. And, and, uh, the main 
thing that she was saying that she was having issues with but beyond that was like having friendships cultivating relationships and like getting out into the world and um and like finding community and all of those things and when it's scary to go inside oftentimes it's scary it it the outside world is quite scary as well too. And a lot of the times if, if we are not going inside and connecting to ourselves, then every relationship that we have is actually not ourself in the relationship. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a representative of us because we're actually not connected to ourselves. And so how many relationships that people have where they're actually not the one in that relationship, it's the representative of themselves and it's the disconnected version of themselves that probably hasn't let themselves feel what their truth is. And that continues to add layers and layers and layers. And especially the longer you go without sort of going inward, the more scary it can become. But at the same time, the power of breath work is that you're in control the whole time. If, you know, there's a lot of people out there doing different psychedelic medicines to, to kind of connect to themselves and, when you ingest anything, that is the thing that's taking you for a ride. If you go to an ayahuasca uh, uh, retreat um, and you drink ayahuasca, that's the thing that's taking you for a ride. You drink coffee, that has an agenda within your system. It's taking you for the ride, right? So there's a sort of responsibility with breath work that is, it's just you. And so whatever comes up, it's just from you. And so there's a responsibility that I think a lot of people aren't really um, consciously aware of that if I go in, if I receive this, that it was just from me, just from my own inspiration, just from my own respiration, my own spirit, that um, it's going to be clear in front of me and I'm going to have to probably change the way that I'm living in some sort of way. And that can be very scary for people. Yeah, I appreciate that you mentioned that um, the, I don't want to say the comparison, but sort of the alignment when people do research uh, about breath work and they start to understand that the experience and the effect can be similar or, or alike to a hallucinogenic experience. Um, and obviously, keep me honest here, as, as, as I mentioned, I've only tipped my toe into some of the research, but... I love that you actually call out the difference being that it is your purity, right? It is not something that you're reliant upon to induce that state of openness. And at the same time, that in itself can be scary because we do come from a society where we rely so much on a stimulant or a, or a depressant or the numbing, partly because, and this is my own hypothesis, we are running away from something right we are we want the tethers of something else to remind us that we're going to be okay but when you are in a state where it's just you and your breath um that purity is is like a mirror and when we've spent so much time running away from the mirror not looking at those things it can be a very uh overwhelming experience can you talk a little bit about what the and obviously every person's can be different, but why why people have akin it to a hallucinogenic experience in breath work? Yeah, another thing that I want to speak on just that real quick is that um, 
the other aspect is that you're in control the whole time. And so you don't have to go on into this full on hallucinogenic experience. You don't have to have this massive cathartic release. Like honestly, a little bit at a time is good. A little bit at a time is good. And especially if it is scary to go in there, that's, that's okay. And so you don't have to get it all out at one time. You don't have to make massive changes in your life right away. Um, I think that in the world that we live in, we are sort of addicted to instant gratification and, and that hap- that I see that trend in the place of uh, personal development and, and, and healing itself. Um, it is the same mindset and the same paradigm of like, I want to take a pill and I want it to be all better right away. Well, nature doesn't work that way. Your body doesn't work that way. Nature changes slowly. These plants in my room right here, they grow very slowly. My hair, it grows slowly. Hopefully it continues. <laughs> um, so our mind changes quickly and we become such a mentally dominant world that we want the change now right away. And I'm really an advocate for, for changing the paradigm of people's growth and, and, and healing to be a slow, gradual process. And a little bit at a time is okay. And with breath work specifically, you are in control because it's your breath. You can, you can go deeper if you want to, you can come out if you want to. And any practitioner that isn't working from that perspective, I would probably stay away from them. But as far as the like understanding of like why this might be akin to a, a, a psychedelic or an entheogenic or hallucinogenic uh, 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 process is, well, there's so many different types of breath work out there. And the breath is the thing that is controlling your nervous system and changing your state. Like it's changing whether you're in a fight or flight state or if you're in like a free state or you're in a kind of relaxed open state, like you have access to that all the time. And there's multiple different techniques out there. And there's a lot of kind of um, dogma within the breathwork space. Like this is the only way, this is the right way. Um, there's performance style breathing, like oxygen advantage that is, uh, you know, CO2 training and, and actually teaching you how to breathe less, um, to actually absorb more oxygen. And that's really good for like performance and for like athletics. Um, and then there's also like, you know, holotropic breath work, which is you're breathing heavily for, you know, traditional holotropic is done for three hours and holotropic was created by Stan Groff. Um, he was a, a, a psychologist, um, I think in the 1960s ish that, uh, was using, um, LSD with his patients and, uh, was seeing massive results, positive results. And then they criminalized LSD and he wanted to find a way to take people into these altered states, um, without having to, um, ingest, you know, obviously illegal substances at that point. Um, but he was realizing that taking people into these altered states allowed them to kind of have a different perspective on themselves, allowed them to kind of look at themselves from a different lens and look at their patterns from a different lens, because it's very hard to work with yourself in your normal everyday waking state. You kind of have to be able to get into a 
different frame of mind, different state of mind and body to actually be aware of, of a lot of the aspects of yourself. So traditional holotropic is sort of designed to mimic a, a psychedelic state and you're breathing heavily for probably three hours, which in my opinion is way too much for the general population. It's way too much for sort of someone who wants to just dip their toe in like that's. And at the same time, a lot of people don't realize is when you are breathing heavily for that extended period of time, you are mimicking a very stressed state in your system. They also kind of call this a, a near death experience. Like if I was being chased by a tiger, how would I be breathing? I'd be breathing <sighs> like, and so we're mimicking kind of a stress state, which you can take someone's physiology into that, that, that stress state. And there's multiple different kind of reasons why we do that. Um, and I can get into that, but you do that for long enough, it starts to create this sort of psychedelic state. And, and that's, I'm not as fascinated with that as I am fascinated with sort of the, the, the trauma release benefits from that and, and looking at sort of what that's doing on a nervous system and, and what on a nervous system level and what that's giving people access to. Yeah, I really appreciate you walking through that and the and to me it's so interesting the way the way one starts to learn about breath work because you're right some of the first things I stumbled upon was holotropic um, and I think t to your point it's because um, right like you you've reminded me we change the mind quickly but we heal the body slowly and I think we have to remember that ratio right but there is this tendency to want to go for a quick fix. Um, and another thing that came to mind when you were talking is the the different modalities. For example, um, I've gone to something called a sound bath, and I'm pretty sure you, you know about kind of, you know, crystal bowls and sound bath and, and things of those nature. And I remember that somebody explained to me that there are gradations and variations with which you can go into this experience around sound healing because it's vibration it's you know vibratory and um i learned that i ended up jumping in the deep end right so i went from like nothing to a room filled with uh over a hundred crystal sound bowls and it, it was a lot, and I was with a group of maybe nine people. So it was a very transformative, transformative experience for me, but no wonder, right? I went from not understanding what sound vibration can do on a cellular level, much less a mental and spiritual level, into a room where the practitioner was an expert, brilliant mind, wonderful woman, um, but I went from zero to 100. And some of the things in me fell away and I wasn't expecting to fall away that quickly. And I had to reintegrate. I had to sort of then figure out, okay, well, who am I emerging out of this? And what do I do with all the parts and pieces that either emerged or fell away? And I can't just sort of step back out onto the sidewalk and assume that I'm going to look at traffic the same way. And I didn't. 
And it reminds me of that experience as you talk about breath work. And it's good to understand that there are gradations and that people have choice based on, I imagine, intention is a big part of this. Yes? Did you say intention? Intention, yes. Yeah. Intention is a massive part of it. I mean, it it really... There are, like I said, there are so many different types of breath work out there and they're all good for different things. It just depends on the intention that you're going into it with. You know, I can speak from like somatic breath work is, you know, we are in a safe container. We are sort of taking your body into a stressed state. Um, You're breathing heavily for, you know, 20 to 30 minutes and that can produce a little bit of an altered state for sure. It's not three hours long where you're going into a full on psychedelic state. But what happens is, and I'll back up a little bit that people, we have forgotten that we're animals. Like that's to to say it plainly, we've forgotten that we're animals and, and our nervous systems are actually ancient. You're not your, however old you are, like I just turned 31. I'm not, uh, I'm not 31 years old. I'm actually, my body is actually ancient because it's taken thousands of years for me to develop the the systems, um, that my body already innately knows. And so we've kind of lost touch to those and we've, we've become such a mentally dominant culture and we look at everything from the mind and even, like a lot of our processes are very top down. We work with, you know, people on mindset and I get so many people that come to me that I just can't stop these, these limiting thoughts, or I just can't stop this, this mindset of scarcity or these, you know, troublesome thoughts. Well, nobody wakes up in the morning, like wanting to be limited in their their thinking or want to have anxiety. A lot of the, the, the thoughts are a, byproduct of the state of your body. Like if you are in a contracted state, like if you're in a a state of fight or flight, like your physical body is in a contracted state, you're going to be picking up on contracted ideas. You're not going to be able to think clearly. You know, if you have a lot of emotional stuff that's going on or your physical body's in pain, like try to think clearly and make clear decisions at that point. It's going to be very hard. And most of us are emotionally experienced experientially and mentally obese we have a lot of undigested emotions undigested experiences and so moving back like understanding that we are animals and we have certain sort of natural processes that our nervous system needs to go through to like move through these different things that we've gone through that have been weeded out of our of our culture in a way or our society and also understanding that most of our like trauma responses and to define trauma is trauma is not the actual thing that's happening to you. It's what's happening inside of you based on those things. And it's completely subjective, meaning that what's traumatic to you might not be traumatic to me based on my resilience and, and also what I've been through and what I've overcome. Right? So it's completely subjective and so having that sort of understanding the first half of of you know a somatic breathwork session we are mimicking that state in a safe container so that your body your organism has an opportunity to discharge 
So it has an opportunity to express that which has been suppressed. And a lot of the times those emotions will come up, those undigested experiences will come up because we're mimicking the state, that stress state in your body. And, um, and so what's important to understand though is that emotions, you know, a lot of people say energy and motion, those want to move through you. And whatever sort of physical thing that your body needed to do in the presence of that stressor, of that trauma, if you will, like maybe you needed to yell, maybe you needed to yell no, maybe you needed to run, maybe you needed to scream, cry, maybe you needed to laugh, maybe you actually, like, and this works for both positive and negative, like maybe you needed to allow yourself to feel good. Maybe you needed to move your body in ways that you haven't let yourself move. Whatever the necessary action that your physical body needed to do in the presence of that is the signal to your system that you're not in the presence of a stressor anymore and that you can go back into your day-to-day life. And so children understand this so well. Like something stressful happens to a child, they immediately start having a temper tantrum because they know and they don't know, and it's not happening in their mind, it's just innate in their body. They know that they don't want to bottle it all up, that if I, they need to move it through their body, and then what happens after that? They usually go take a nap, and then, you know, they go about their life, and 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 the same thing happens with animals. Something stressful happens to them. Um, they usually start shaking or start taking massive belly breaths in, and that that action is the signal to your system that you've completed whatever you needed to do in the presence of that stressor and that you're not in the presence of a stressor anymore. And so there's so many people that are walking around that we've rationalized our feelings or we've rationalized our situation or the the troublesome things that we've gone through. And we haven't let our body actually do the necessary thing that it needed to do. And so a lot of us are like metaphorically walking around like we're still in the presence of a tiger. Yeah, I think it's so interesting the way you describe the the release. And, um, you know, it's almost as if we, we have these chains around us. And we're so used to walking around the world with those chains around us that when given the first opportunity to actually, right, drop the chains and expand our wingspan for a second... Um, it, it feels freeing and frightful at the same time. Um, so I'm curious when, when people have the somatic breathwork sessions with you, um, what's the, I'm going to use the word come down. I don't know if that's the right word, but what's the, the closing of it? Because I imagine it's really hard to, to do it. And then, as I mentioned, even in the, the sort of synonymous experience I mentioned with sound healing, to step back out into the world and sort of see things the same because you're not right you've you've released you've you've uh, manifested a little bit differently is it hard for people to just step back into the flow of traffic so to speak that is the question that i'm mo- that i'm interested in the most you know this it's the goal isn't necessarily the release right the goal is not necessarily like Yes, having that sort of discharge, having that release is important, is 
the part that frees you, is the part that creates space. But a lot of people's identities have been so interwoven with their traumas, with their their ego's expression has been really, uh, uh, yeah, interwoven with the shit that they've gone through. And so it can be very hard to go back into the world if you've just released all of this stuff because a lot of times people don't know who they are. And so the first half of, of somatic breathwork is designed to help people release. And the second half is, okay, now that you've cleared out, because a lot of the times people will have that sort of spiritual experience where they've had this massive release, you've cleared on a physical level. A lot of the times people become clear like that. They see clearly. And because a lot of their clarity was blocked by the undigested emotions, by the state of contraction, by whatever their body needed to do. And so a lot of times people have massive amounts of clarity. And then, and then it's about what do you bring back in? And so a lot of the, uh, and, you know, I think Joe Dispenza is doing an incredible job at this sort of work of like, the science of creating an elevated emotion and firing and wiring that kind of back into your system afterwards. So the first half is on clearing. The second half is like, okay, now that you've cleared, like become clear, see it clearly. And how do you want to feel? How do you want to feel? Let's try to access the positive range because a lot of people are in Peter Levine, who is, sort of the the grandfather or godfather of somatic understanding you know he says that you know rarely does um someone die from trauma necessarily but if it's not looked at if it's unprocessed it can significantly um, deplete our quality of life and so a lot of people call this a living death where there's a lot of people walking around in the world and they've blocked themselves from feeling some of the lows from going inward. And if you block yourself from those lows, you cut yourself off from the highs. And that is life. That is your breath. It is a flow of up and down. And so you cut yourself off from the lows. You cut yourself off from the highs. What you're left with is this flat line. And it's a very narrow window of existence where it's, you're numb. It's a living death. And so how many people are, are they're alive and they're walking around, but they're actually not alive. And so you allow yourself to go into some of those lows and you can do a little bit at a time. You don't have to get it all out at one time because just like I said, in the beginning of this podcast, no one's ever fully healed. Healing is a, is a verb it's a process and, and, um, it's never figured out until you're done. Like it's a figuring process. You're figuring it into shape and, um, and you're going to accumulate more as you go through life. So I'm very interested in like developing processes and, and skills and tools that people can utilize like throughout their life, right. To, to prevent, to have preventative healthcare. Well, let's actually prevent on that. So I'm not venting on all of the people in my life. And so the second half is, Let's actually have that clarity. Let's create the felt sensation of that happening right here, right now. And how good can you let yourself feel? 
and the 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 effect of that on a psychosomatic level on an immune system level on a purely physiological level um, it's been proven by science how many benefits there are to that and then after the session like so many people ask the golden question about integration well the understanding that i have on integration is integration in a somatic understanding is actually happening during the session like gabber mate says that okay if trauma is a disconnect from the real self then healing is a reconnection and so during the breathwork session or during whatever session it is you are reconnecting to parts of yourself you are integrating all of yourself and what happens is that people have this sort of integration experience the compartmentalization of all the parts of themselves kind of go down and they reconnect to all the parts of themselves maybe let themselves feel a lot of the stuff that they haven't let themselves feel maybe access some of the the the, the highs some of, like letting themselves feel good and then afterwards the real power is like because our mom like i guess i want to explain this in a, in, in a in a way that people can understand our current definition of integration is like, okay, now I'm taking the insights from whatever the thing was and I'm living it out in my life and I've changed my patterns and I'm living my dream life. Right? Well, no one can integrate for you. You do have to go back into your real, into your world and integrate for yourself. But the integration happened in the moment what i'm most fascinated in is actually integration is community and so having a because a lot of people after a session they go back and they spend time with their significant other or their family or whatever you know social circle that they have and those people have you in a box of this is the person that you are they don't see you as a verb they don't see you as a process they don't allow you to change because of you know, holding on to stasis and, and wanting you to be the same person for them. And so integration actually happens in, in a community that allows you to show up as this new person and act that new person out. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think it totally makes sense. And, and there's a couple of things that come to mind. Um, one is, um, the power of community, absolutely, and the integration piece. Um, I'm really glad that you kind of put that detail on it because two things come to mind. One is, and I think this is a quote I heard last week, um, and so I'll try and I'll try and you know convey it. But it was something along the lines of, "We magnetize what we give meaning to," and so to your point around, you know going back into our into our roles into our stasis if we give meaning back to the the title we have the role we have the persona we are then we magnetize right we magnetize all that energy and the other piece that came to mind as you were talking about this was we just passed eight billion people on this planet this week to my knowledge my my question to you is 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 a little ethereal but like how does someone like you who does somatic breath work and know the the magic magic ending with a k 
that is eight billion people breathing on this planet like like that is a dance and an exchange are we i mean i I would say we need this work more than ever for the tidal flow to be to be beneficial as we continue to push the boundaries of what this blue marble is spinning through the universe i love that brother um yeah, I, I look at it on a micro level and a macro level. And uh, I think the the same dissociation that happens from our mind to our body, like we're not occupying our bodies. I mean, how many people have, or maybe yourself, whoever's listening to this, you've went and got like, just say you went and got a massage or you went and got some body work and uh, someone pressed on your hip and you're like, holy shit, that's tender over there. Well, you actually weren't even aware of that part of your body. You actually needed somebody else to help you become aware of that part of your body. You're actually not occupying that part of your body. Most of us are occupying just our mind. And so the same dissociation or the same disconnect that happens from our mind to our body or the disconnect from you know our mind to our breath is the same disconnect that is happening from myself to the other people across the other side of the world and it's a very fascinating terrain that we're moving through right now because your nervous system your just say your body your being is not designed to deal with it's only designed to deal with things that are happening in your immediate reality things that are happening in front of you and so there's sort of a trauma of technology that's going on where i can look at my phone and I can see, you know, all of the terrors that are going on on the other side of the world. And in my body, my body is a biological entity. It knows that if I dump toxins in a river, you know, thousands of miles away from me, eventually that water is going to make up the water in the body of my children. It, your body knows that we're intrinsically connected. And when we see things that are going on on the other side of the world, well, your body is knows that we're intrinsically connected. And I think that there's an innate knowing that we want to help each other. Like inside of us, we want to help each other. We are of this planet. We are all on this planet together. We are communal beings. We are mammals. We, uh, one of our greatest purposes I think is to commune, to be in communication, to be in community. And, when we see that happening we're kind of trained to dissociate because we don't we can't do anything in the moment of that it's like okay that's happening over there is it affecting me here i don't think it is but actually it is and so the same dissociation that is happening inside of us on a mind body level is happening in the world where you know there's homeless people i'm i live in downtown austin right now all over and and um you know it's very easy to feel like oh that's happening over there and it's not there's nothing that i can do about it or, or i'm not connected to them but but we are in collaboration and there is sort of a, a co-creation wound that that happens you know a lot of us feel like we just have to live in a in a, in a world that i actually don't have any impact in like even from as a child a lot of times what happens is you know if i if i'm 
a child and I'm expressing a need or a want at a very young age and I don't, I'm not feeling received or I'm not feeling felt by my caregivers or they're not hearing me, well, then I lose the feeling that I'm actually creating an impact in the world. Like, because whatever I'm doing, there's nothing coming back to me. And so therefore I feel like I just am fitting into somebody else's world. And so whatever I do is just, it doesn't matter. Right. I'm just like, I'm just one person. And, um, when really it's not the, it's not the case, we are in collaboration. And so and, and the reconnection of our mind to our body is the, is the nervous system is the connection between your mind and your body. And the thing that, that controls your nervous system is your breath. And so I'm a, I, I have a mission and a purpose and, and, you know, I choose to think optimistically. Thank you. I, I so appreciate that. Um, there's so much that's coming up in me, which I imagine, um, is, is common when you, when you, um, put words to a lot of this, which I really appreciate. One last question for you, uh, around technology. You'd mentioned technology and, um, I've got an aura ring on here uh, on my, on my hand. And, you know, some people have Fitbits and some people have Apple watches. I'm curious, um, what role does or doesn't technology play when you work with people in terms of breath work and then they go out into the world? I asked the question from a place of, since I've worn something like the aura ring, it has caused me to pay attention to vitals differently um, and think about how I'm breathing or walking or sleeping. So I'm curious, has that intersection come into play at all? And, and, um, thoughts about that as we go forward into a potential metaverse world, right? I mean, can you imagine somatic breath work in the metaverse? I can. And my business partner is very, um, fascinated by it. For me, I'm much more fascinated in human to human interaction. Um, first off, like understanding technology is like somatic breath work is a technology. It is a psychosomatic technology. Coffee, is a technology, right? And so understanding our modern technology, um, it can be a tool or a poison. It can be both. Any, anything can be both medicine or poison, depending on knowing when to utilize it. And so it's been really cool because, you know, some, one of the reasons somatic breathwork has gone global is because of technology. And I was always against kind of posting um, videos of people having this sort of cathartic emotional release. And because I was like, ah, the world, you know, they're not really going to understand, you know, and I was actually contributing to the suppression of emotion in a way, like the world's not okay with seeing emotion. And as soon as we posted a video, we had thousands of messages come up overnight. And most of those messages were not in English. Most of those messages were in all, were in all different languages. And so my, my business partner, we sat on Google Translate and were trying to translate all these messages. And so there was so many people that were reaching out and they don't even know what's going on. They don't know what this is. But what they see is they see another person feeling and they see another person with that person feeling, not having to change what they're doing, 
just being in that state of feeling. And so many of the world, they want to feel because we're born into this world with a gift of feeling. It is our birthright. And, and to feel is actually to be alive. The opposite of feeling is numbness. And numbness is considered a living death. And so to answer your question as far as like technology can be used as such a powerful, powerful tool. Um, you know, I wore a whoop strap for a long time. I thought about getting an aura ring and I have a lot of friends that have them and, and they can be an incredible thing to give you data and give you feedback on what's going on, on your patterns, right. And changing, dialing in little things and the, and, and that can be really powerful, but also at the same time, it can become a disconnect from you actually feeling what's going on in yourself. Like if I have to check my app on my phone to tell me like how much, how recovered I am. Well, how about I just tune into my body and see how recovered I am. And so there's, I think going through periods of time of utilizing those things and then going back to your, your just felt sense and cure and like really, cause it can dual our sensitivity. Sensitivity is considered, you know, there's barnacles that are attached to that word, meaning weakness. Like if someone's sensitive, they're weak, but to become sensitive is to become full of sense, to become full of sensory awareness. And that is actually a, a massive strength. And so how sensitive can I become to myself and what I'm feeling, what's going on in my own body? Am I occupying part of my body? Well, that, that can't be done by any sort of technology, right? You have to do that for yourself. And so we have all of these tools at our fingertips. Um, we have all of these different technologies. I mean, I, I say that somatic breathwork is a, is a psychosomatic technology that works with state change to develop trait change. And so I'm fascinated on using straight state change to develop like actual trait change in someone's life. Because why do we do this work to begin with? It's to, to develop healthy relationships, the relationship with yourself and the connection to yourself. And so that I can connect to others because connection, communing community is, I believe probably the biggest purpose of, of why we're here. I so appreciate you sharing that story. And you could, you could tell when you started telling that story, I put my hand on my, on my heart. I literally, to your point, I needed to feel, right? Yeah, I've got this aura ring on, but when you started telling that story about the Google Translate and you and your business partner plugging in these phrases in foreign languages, because people, I mean, people were moved and stirred. I, I had to feel, I had to feel, right? I literally had to get back in my body. I so appreciate you sharing that story. Um, before we close out here, I would love for you to tell folks where they can find out more. I mean, I have no doubt people are going to be moved listening to this like I have been, but I would love for them to know the best way to connect, to learn more um, about somatic breathwork and the incredible helping and healing and connecting you're doing for so many people. Yeah, thank you so much, brother. First off, I just want to say that we have a decision, and that decision is we can be in a contracted state of fear. We can be in a place of expansive expansion and connection and love. And it's all hidden right in front of us. It's all a choice. And we have that choice and we can be aware of it 
we don't have to. We can be conscious of it, but we don't have to. And it's all within our breath that's accessible to every human on this planet because you're doing it and you're actually not breathing, but you are being breathed. You're not beating your heart, but what's the essence that is beating your heart? Are you beating your heart? And so it's all a, it's it's all a choice, and it's 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 accessible right here, right now. And so you don't need somatic breath work. You don't need any of the other stuff. You know, um, it's right innately within you. But if you do want to learn more, um, you can check out our YouTube. We have lots of different um, videos of me teaching a lot of these concepts and um, some short daily practices on YouTube. You can check out somatic breath work. Um, you can connect with us on Instagram at, at somaticrelease.com. Um, if you want to connect to me and, and uh, um, my Instagram is at Jaggers, J-R-J-A-G-G-E-R-S, uh, J-R. Um, I obviously love talking about this stuff and I talk a lot about it on my, on my personal social as well. And, um, yeah, we, we train a lot of practitioners in our sort of structured, uh, modality and how to utilize this tech technique in a multitude of different ways with, with different people, depending on, you know, we have so many different practitioners from mental health specialists to physical health specialists to, you know, we have parents that come in that just want to understand this to, to be able to raise their children um, in a way that's, uh, that's, that's helpful that in their development. And so you can connect with us there. And um, yeah, we also have a, we have a community membership where we offer sessions uh, bi-weekly, um, both in person and online. And it's also, uh, we've, as of a couple of days ago, we've made that completely free to any veterans. Um, so if you are a veteran, you're welcome to um, come and join us at any time. And we made it very accessible. It's like 35 bucks a month. So That's great. I so appreciate you doing that. As a veteran, thank you for, for that extension to, to our fellow you know, servicemen and women um, who have served. And I just want to say thank you, Stephen, for being in communion with me today. This was really... I mean, I, I, I kind of knew it was going to be a really powerful discussion, um, but I am always delighted to know that that it can even reach greater heights of inquiry and growth and um, healing and and just remembering, like you said, remembering. Um, so I, I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to echo the great work you're doing um, and training others to, to help others heal. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, Bill. It was a, it was a great time, and, and um, yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, you bet. <laughs>